I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Our feed is aimed at. It is Wednesday. I know what you're thinking. This isn't time for a front-free podcast, but it is, ladies and gentlemen, because the world champions, Germany, have been knocked out of the World Cup we had to talk about it tonight on the podcast. Joining me to do so, none other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Chris Henich. Wunderbar. Wunderbar, indeed. So much to dig into tonight. Not only Germany getting knocked out, not only Sweden finishing top of Group F, not only previewing England against Belgium with our man on the ground in Russia, Elliot Hackney, Argentina as well, scraping through to the knockout stages Thanks to Lionel Messi and unlikely hero Marcos Rojo. What a World Cup, though, it's been, Chris, so far. I mean, the entertainment value is off the charts. I don't want to get carried away, Chris, but is this the best World Cup ever in our lifetime, at least? Sure. It's, it's, <laughs> it's up there. Um, the lack of nil-nils, that's, that's, that's always handy. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, felt, it's felt more like there's maybe a chance for a, a dark horse to actually win the thing, which I don't know if I've felt that in the World Cups of my lifetime, which is nice. Let's start with Jeremy then, a seismic result today, a result that was was cherished around England, I think it's fair to say, but the fact remains it's only the second time that Germany have been eliminated from the first round at the World Cup, having last done so in 1938. I mean, it's an incredible shock, Chris, but at the same time, Germany have been poor in this tournament. Tony Cruz's last minute winner against Sweden, it papered over the cracks. And here against the South Korean side, who already out of the tournament, this was a hurdle that Jörgi Love's side should have been able to clear. Yeah, that was the thing. You saw it on social media. There was a lot of Dale score type tweets. The Germans always score. I think even Gary Lineker tweeted at one point, that's the definition of football. 22 men chase a ball and the Germans win. I think... Um, for me, at the same time, as heroic as the um, win against Sweden was, you do tend to find that those moments um, where a late sort of goal or what have you changes things, they're usually the turning point in so much as they will either spark something or they will paper over a crack until a later day. And I think firmly that is what happened there. Is It was a fantastic piece of individual brilliance. But at the same time, it, it didn't mask 
the frailties that Germany had that we saw again against South Korea, a team that have not been very strong in this tournament. That's the that's what I think will frustrate Germans more than anything, is that this group was absolutely winnable, that all three teams were able to counter and break on them with relative ease in all three games. What did you make of the performance, Chris? What went wrong here? Because for me, there was the sense that history was repeating itself. It reminded me of Spain's downfall in that 2014 World Cup when as defending champions, they were humiliated, knocked out in the group stages. Germany now the third consecutive defending champions to be eliminated from the group stage at the World Cup. And like I say, it felt like history repeating itself. Yeah, I think Law said afterwards that you know they, they turned up with a, an arrogance to them or a sense of arrogance, excuse me. Um, and think and and they thought that after a bad series of friendlies they could could turn it on. But I think, <clears throat> excuse me, if you look at the way they played, there was almost a, a confusion as to what they wanted to do. I think they have a lot of very gifted technical players, and they wanted to play that style where it was lots of neat interchanges, beautiful passing, all this kind of thing. But it didn't actually consider. I think what that was going to do against the opposition that they had, and and you saw it against Sweden. The the two sort of turning points in that game involved Timo Werner going down the left hand side, going past his fullback, or trying to get to the byline and cross in for Mario Gomez. I looked at, at Timo Werner's chalkboard at the end of the game, and you saw a similar kind of pattern of play. The difference was he was playing as the as the leading forward, so it's a bit pointless him crossing it in for essentially no one when ideally he needs a Mario Gomez type figure, maybe even a Thomas Muller type figure to aim for. And I think that's the problem is that there's almost just pages of the blueprint missing with Germany. It's lots of, well, we'll do this and then that will just bring success. There's no A to B to C to D. And I think we focus so much on Sane and and the absence of him. I I understand why from an English angle we would look at that he is still a fantastic player I know that there were a lot of German voices who said that's really reductionist but I actually think you know what he's a fantastic player who would have given them something a little bit different a little bit more direct I I accept that Brandt is in there and can do that but he really didn't play significant minutes in my eyes whereas I think Sané probably would have started and I think there was a really good point made to that effect that if, if the German team couldn't accommodate a player like Leroy Sané, or it wasn't built for a player like Sané. Maybe it was the plan that needed to be checked, not the personnel. This is the thing. They had their chances, 28 shots in total, albeit only six on target. They had the opportunities to win this game. But in context, Chris, as you say, the blueprint, the foundations of Germany's setup, they just felt wrong. They looked wrong. I think having seen it now, yeah. I mean, the... <clears throat> that was something that, that Lowe touched on. You know, he, he said that after a sort of bad um, series of friendlies, or the, the two pre-tournament games, defeat by Austria, and then a quite narrow win over Saudi Arabia, who obviously we know Saudi Arabia are no great shakes, um, if you'll pardon the pun. I think that, for me, tells you that something is wrong, and I think that's where the arrogance comes from. It's the belief that things will write themselves in Russia that we're, we're too good. And, and I, I do understand why people will say that, you know, this is why you don't hold on to a squad after a tournament success. There was talk about, did they want it enough? But I do think genuinely, this really wasn't a situation about intangibles. I think, you know, you look at the midfield options, someone someone like Kadira, 
I'd be more inclined to go for Emre Chan personally because I think he stops or at least slows down those counter-attacking opportunities that their opposition were getting better than someone like Kadira. And I just think that when I talk about players turned coaches, often one of the biggest difficulties for someone who spent a decade or so in a position is understanding the relevance of the rest of the other positions on the field. How does a midfielder view the game as opposed to a defender, etc.? And how do you put that together? And that's my concern is that I looked at Germany and I thought they, between them, there's no, there's no consideration for how the defense works with the midfield, with the attack. It's lots of separate parts with no joints. Mm, it, it did feel very disjointed, very labored. Um, obviously, a lot of criticism from Manuel Neuer as well for his role in that second goal, losing the ball, having charged up into the opposition's half. In the end, Hyungmin Son scored a long ball played into the Germany half. It's a simple tap-in, but the game was already lost by that point because of that first goal. And I have to say, I know we've we've talked a lot about VAR in this tournament. It's been controversial, to say the least. But this, for me, that, that sort of moment where... The goal had been chalked off for South Korea. VAR rightfully reinstates that goal. That is why it's right for the game. That's why it brings those moments of drama. It adds to the beautiful game rather than takes away from it. Surely, Chris? Yeah, I think ultimately it did. And, and you know, in a, in a sort of bizarre way, it was quite fun to sort of have that moment where we're all kind yes. of sitting waiting for it to come through on the screen. You know, nice. did a South Korean player kick it or not? And... It proved its worth there. I think this is the problem is that we can't operate with a sort of finite, it's useless or it's a godsend. Like it, it has to almost be allowed to exist without constant evaluation. I think it can serve its purpose. We're seeing what that purpose yeah. is now. That's, that's the very idea, I think, of evolution is, is to see how something works and to test it before um, you, know, you, you plow ahead with it. And I think that's what we're doing at this stage. Yeah, it's the first World Cup he's ever been utilised in and I think it, yeah, obviously there's going to be these team problems as we spoke about on Monday night but I think this shows just just how it can add so much to the game but anyway Germany end up finished bottom of their group below South Korea uh, an incredible upset Sweden end up going through top of group F Chris a 3-0 win over Mexico this was a shock as well considering how impressive Mexico had been well, this is the thing. I feel a bit sorry for a lot of the Swedish players because their build-up to this tournament, even at points during it, it's been overshadowed a bit by Zlatan trying to impart himself on the whole situation. And I think, I get that that's his shtick and his thing, but I actually think since he departed the national team, I think they've become more self-reliant and I think they've become a more harmonious team because they've not tried to play through him. They've tried to identify what their strengths are and Look, they're not as quick as Mexico. I don't think they're as quick in the transition as South Korea. But they do play some quite nice flowing things, I would say. Um, I think where I've been impressed with them is the likes of Toivonen, who who got the goal against Germany. Because I can't be honest, every time I've seen him the last sort of 12 months, he's been useless. At Sunderland, I just didn't see any talent in him at all. Um, and I think that's the thing, is that Sweden and with Mexico, you've seen a, essentially a team rise above its expected level and develop an idea that works for them. I think that's the the duality, if you will, of this group is that the favourites didn't have an identity that was rigorous and thorough and considered everything around it. Whereas the teams who did go through in Sweden and Mexico 
realized their strengths and weaknesses and essentially forged a plan that that made the most of everything that was available mexico through by the skin of their teeth perhaps but could you argue they deserve to progress from from group f as runners up yeah the <clears throat> their third game was a, a nightmare i mean it's it's a sickening irony for Juan Carlos Osorio because so often he's critiqued in Mexico for being so rotation heavy, rotacion, as, as um, it was joked the other day, that he will kind of make changes needlessly just for the sake of it. Um, and the game against Sweden, he opted not to do that. He opted to stick with the team and they're soundly beaten 3-0. I think in that regard, it's another weird turn in the relationship of, of Juan Carlos Osorio in Mexico because they haven't always liked him. Um, you look at the 7-0 demolition they suffered the other year in, in Copa America. Um, that was was very much a point where I thought he was going to go personally because he's not like his predecessor, Miguel Herrera, who is this little bundle of energy, you know, a little short, stocky thing who, who played for the Mexican national team and has passion and a lot of the tropes that we might associate with a, with a Latin country. Um, I think what he's done is he's actually given a bit of new life to, to someone like Carlos Vela. And and look, Vela himself has had an awkward relationship with the national team. He's had claims of unprofessionalism. Um, even going into this tournament, there was talk of a an, an all-night party with prostitutes and things that was later refuted by uh, Javier Hernandez. So they've not been perfect off the field um, or not been scandal-free, shall we say. But I think when it's come on to the field, the likes of Irving Lozano, who's had a great season at PSV, Hector Herrera, who I think is a, a brilliant midfielder, and I'm really surprised no one in sort of one of the top five leagues has thought that's someone who could improve us. They've just had a really sort of fluid system. And I know that people will point to the 3-0 and say it was you know terrible and all this kind of thing. It will stunt their momentum. But I would still be a little bit wary of facing them because, like I say, between Vela and Lozano and players of, of that ilk, even Hernandez, I think, has got a little bit better in his transition players as the tournament's gone on. Mm. I think on the balance, yeah. Sweden deserves to go through, though. Fantastic against Germany. Unlucky to lose in the dying minutes. Mexico as well. Certainly not based on this performance against Sweden, but in the previous fixtures, they deserve to go through as well. But they are going to face Brazil. In the round of 16, a, a very tough fixture for them. Brazil taking care of business, Chris, tonight when, you know, perhaps there could have been an upset on par with Germany, beating Serbia 2-0 comfortably and perhaps showing a bit more of what, what we'd expect from this team. Yeah, they, they didn't start the tournament um, well. I think there were some really sort of very different interpretations of the game they had against Costa Rica because some people said that Costa Rica were very good and gave them credit. Others just pointed to the fact Kilo Navas was in goal and said that he essentially stifled them. I can see credence to both points. I think at the same time, Brazil tonight watching them, I think they've become a lot more fluid in attack. I think the game against Switzerland was tough for them because Switzerland are a very aggressive defensive team that don't usually concede many goals. Um, and I think they did target Neymar. They gave him a good kick in um, when possible. They put Valon Barami on him. Um, and yet at the same time, I thought, I do think Neymar was a little bit self-indulgent in that game. And I saw it a little tiny bit tonight as well, that, that there's just moments where you can see he's so desperate to kind of, I think because there's so much pressure on Neymar, he's so desperate to to leave a mark on every single game. And to him, leaving a mark is a goal or an assist. Um, <clears throat> so 
I think it's important to remember that this is still Brazil. Um, and personally, I think they'll do very well in this tournament. I think actually that's the thing with them is they're refining their process right now. I think they're becoming better, more fluid. Some of the play in the attacking third tonight was was amazing. Um, just in terms of its speed, if not always its quality. Um, and I think that's something to watch out for. I don't think that all of the favourites, if you will, or the traditional powerhouses have gone through that refinement. I look at France being a good example of that, of a team who still look quite laborious and, and turgid when it comes to attacking. Uh, also joining Brazil going through from Group E is Switzerland. They've set themselves up a World Cup round of 16 tie with Sweden. Um, a two-all draw in the end for Switzerland against Costa Rica. We saw them through and a rather unique penalty, I think it's fair to say, in injury time, Chris. Yeah, Brian Ruiz, bless him, the, the star of Costa Rica. Well, that's probably Kilo, but um, yeah, obviously I've got some links to Costa Rica, so it's uh, it's a place ever increasingly close to my heart. <laughs> um, his penalty essentially smacked off the bar and then caught Jan Sommer in the back of the head and went in. Um, <laughs> I think it chalked up as an own goal as well. For, for yeah, so officially salt. chalked up as an own goal for, for Jan Sommer, which I'm sure he is delighted about. Um, I think Switzerland have... Uh, it's a difficult one because they came with a very clear plan, much like Sweden, much like Mexico. Um, I didn't think they'd get through just because I didn't see where the goals were coming from. Personally, I think to get that 2-1 win against Serbia was very impressive. Um, I did think they would stifle Brazil. I didn't know whether that would result in a draw or a narrow loss. But I think if you look at them in World Cups, you know this is the same country that uh, I think beat Spain in 2010. Um by that one goal margin, I think was that, that might have been the only goal that Spain conceded during that tournament, maybe. Mm. I could be wrong on that, but I feel I feel like they were the, the only team that, that scored a goal against them. Um but yeah, that th- that to me shows that yeah, I still think they're pretty limited personally. I don't see them necessarily causing major waves in the, the latter stages for that reason. Um and as for Costa Rica, they're four years older, which is always gonna diminish the talent a little bit there's not been that next wave of players to come through which is a real shame I also think the coach made some questionable decisions and I think unfortunately when the talent pool is at that level um Kaelo Navas aside your margin for error is minute um and I think it's it's a shame for them it would have been nice to see them get a win or carry on from from 2014 but yeah I think in, in that sense they've they've got every right to be a bit disappointed with with how they showed up the round of 16 is shaping up very nicely indeed. Then we do have to talk about the drama that occurred on Tuesday night as well in Group D. Croatia and Argentina going through. But before that, let's hear from our man on the ground in Russia, Elliot Hackney, ahead of the Group G decider, England v Belgium, tomorrow night in Kaliningrad. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is England. believe that they can win it. I don't want the party to end. Yes, welcome back to our man in Russia, none other than Elliot Hackney. Elliot, how are you doing, mate? I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm a bit, uh, feeling it a bit today because I decided to go out last night. One of the rare nights we've been able to go out and, uh, yeah, let's just say, lots of waters. The obvious question I've got there, then, what is the price of a pint leg in Russia? Oh, it's got, it works out about £2.50. It's really cheap. Everything's, everything's pretty cheap here. A 40-minute taxi from the airport costs like eight quid. I don't know how they're making, I don't know how they're making money, honestly. Madness. England played Panama um, on Sunday, Sunday afternoon here in England, and it finished 6-1. Now, there were a lot of different predictions floating around. Um, some expected a, a whitewash. Others expected it to be a bit tighter, sort of closer affair. Did you have any strong indications going into the the stadium what you thought it would pan out and how you thought the game would uh, would would play out? I mean, in every preview and video that I did, I thought I thought it was going to be a whitewash. But I had, you always have that thing in the back of your mind with England that you know this is England, anything's possible for the other team, uh, really. But no, I thought I thought we'd get the job done, and we did convincingly in the end. But yeah, I wasn't worried going into this game at all. And I mean, things started absolutely brilliantly um, with with that opening goal for, for John Stones. He obviously got two. Um, what, for you, stuck out most impressive when it came to England? Because it's so easy to focus on the goals. And, I, and I've seen, and, and I even said it last night on the pod, that England didn't really carve Panama open in open play, but there were still things to take from it. What, what struck you as someone in the stadium? Uh, for me, it's the set pieces is just how how well we're doing on them. I know that's where the majority of our goals have come from, you know, corners, uh, free kick routines, whatever it might be. But for me, set pieces, we look so organised. Uh, we look like we know what we're doing. We look like we've got a plan, which, you know, is a world apart from, you know, when Harry Kane was taking corners not so long ago. But for me, that's the thing that stands out. I would like us to see us do more in open play. As you say there, I think we've got one of the lowest open play goal uh, amounts in the tournament, which is, you know, a bit of a concern. But when you're scoring six in a game, and you know, and, and the goals are coming, I suppose we can't be too worried about where they're coming from as long as they are coming. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing I take from that as well is that, you know, the, there was a lot of buoyancy around. There was a lot of jubilation, I should say, around England in the wake of that result, just because of how convincing it was. Did you feel that in the same? Did you come away with? I know we joke about footballs coming home, but was there that kind of vibe coming out of the place that actually this is a team that we can get behind and, and want to be proud of? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that Southgate's installed something in these guys that's not been there for a long time. Uh, you know, and all the praise to Gareth Southgate, really. I think they can believe that they can win it. They believe that they can go in the way all the way, and that's not something I don't. I think that we've had before. Uh, but yeah, I, after every goal, they were playing. Uh, it footballs coming home. They were playing it before the game. They were playing it after every single goal. They played it at the end of the game. So it's, it's been instilled in the fans um, by not only the nation itself, but even in the stadium after every single goal. But 
I I am get I'm, I don't want to get my feet off the ground too much, but I am starting to get taken you know taken away by uh, this team at the minute. Well, they've got one more game uh, to round out the group stages against Belgium. By far the toughest test. I don't think anyone debates that. How would you be looking to approach it? There's been talk about bringing in some of the the faces that haven't been used yet, making some changes, experimenting, if not with the formation, at least with the lineup. What would your approach to that be? I wouldn't change too much, personally. I don't want to lose momentum uh, going into you know going into the knockout stages. I remember. I can't remember if it was the Euros or the World Cup when Hodgson made a few changes when we were safely through and we seemed to lose all momentum from there. I don't want us to do that again. I know then the counter-argument comes in about where we finish and who we're going to get in the next rounds. And I'm, and when it comes to that, I am then stuck because I don't know if we want to finish first, second, who we want to face. I'm thinking, you know, you've got to beat everyone to win the competition anyway or do we try and you know avoid a few teams? I'm, I'm not sure how he plays this. Uh, for me, I wouldn't lose momentum, but I can understand if he were to ring the changes and try and, you know, you know, like Belgium seem like they're going to do. And, you know, it, it seems like everyone could be battling for second at the minute. Yeah, that's, that's the interesting debate that's being had, that essentially England and Belgium between them are, are almost going to fight for second because it gives them a much easier run. We talked about last night on the pod, the, or on Monday, excuse me, on the pod, that you know, you've got to play good teams. That's an established cliche of tournament football at international level. Is that where you sit with this? That ultimately, a Brazil, a France, whoever, you're going to have to face someone of that quality eventually. So why not try and get them at the first hurdles instead of giving yourself a, an easy path to a semi or even final? Uh, again, two minds, because I, I, I can make the case for, yeah, we've got to play everyone, so we may as well get them out of the way as soon as possible and play a decent team and give, us, give ourselves a real test. But at the same time, I don't want the fun to stop. I don't want the party <laughs> to end. I want to, get, I want to celebrate more goals. I want to celebrate more England wins. And if that means, that means we carve out an easier route and take on some easier teams, but get overall further, I'm happy for us to do that. I don't, I don't want the journey to end, so I'm, I'm happy to go with go the easier option and easier route mm. one thing i'm curious about that sprung into my head there is that the 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 players that we put behind harry kane and, and raheem sterling i could even maybe include sterling in there do you have a preference who plays alongside harry kane and then who also sits in those midfield positions where we've often seen lingard and, and deli ali is there a first choice that jumps out to you i think when it shouldn't be a world away with a world away from what started the panama game I'm happy with Kane. I'm happy with Sterling. I think Sterling will grow into this tournament. I know he's not been at his best yet. The, the case will be when Dali Ali's fit again, where does he slot in? And that might be Ruben Loftus-Cheek's place gone. Uh, he, I don't think he impressed me too much in the Panama game, not like he did in the first game against Tunisia. But I don't think we're a world away from the starting eleven being, uh, being nailed down. I think it's just, like I say, those one or two minor changes if possible. But for me, I think the rest of the team's solid. I wouldn't change much else. And certainly not anything in the back line, goalkeeper or wing backs. And everyone's probably seen your vlogs by now. I've been watching them religiously. Kalingrad, any any strong early impressions so far or, or are you still kind of finding your way around? Um, I'm, I'm still in Moscow at the minute. I'm oh, okay. off, to, off to Kalingrad on Thursday, but yeah, this is the this is the one that's a little bit further away. You know, it's an enclave. It's not actually in Russia. It's between, I think, four other countries. But 
not there yet. I uh, was impressed, actually, by uh, Nizhny Novgorod. It was much better than uh, the first place, which Volgograd, which was covered in flies. There's no flies, so I was happy with that. But I'm looking forward to going and seeing what Kaliningrad's about because um, I've heard good things. Fantastic. And finally, can I get a prediction from you, mate, for England against Belgium? Oh, I'm going to go uh, 2-2 draw at Desmond. Lovely stuff. And if the, the listeners want to see more of you, where's the best place to find you? Uh, Elliot Hackney, two L's, one T, last name, like the place. And that's on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, any of those. Go, go and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Thank you very much to Elliot Hackney. Do go and follow him on Twitter. The links are in the description of this very podcast, Our Man in Russia. Uh, some interesting thoughts there. I mean, there is that suggestion. Chris, that England could be better off finish second. Uh, all the all the talk is that Gareth Southgate is not going to even countenance that. He's going to be playing a full strength team. Harry Kane expected to start. Perhaps some rotation elsewhere throughout the team. Eric Dyer expected to come in in the place of Jordan Henderson in midfield. Gary Cahill, Danny Rose expected to get some minutes at the back. It's a delicate balance. Uh, yeah, I, I understand why people would want to win. I can't lie. There is part of me that thinks no. Go try and try and avoid the big teams. Surely, um, Gareth Southgate can't try and contrive to this escape. Surely. Well, this is the thing. I, I noticed Martin Keown was talking about France '98 um, today, and and the fact that he went to a tournament and didn't play, um, and how kind of that impacted him, and how it impacted his relationship with the manager, and all this stuff. Um, and yeah, I would say that. For Roy Hodgson, when he made changes going into his third game, it did sap the momentum a bit. I was there. I was there in St Etienne. It was a depressing experience, uh, to say the least. But that's what I mean. It is a delicate balance between, in that game, Hodgson made six changes. It sort of sapped the momentum, as you suggest. Southgate doesn't want to do that, but he also wants to to give Danny Rose minutes. He wants to give Gary Cahill minutes and promote that idea of squad harmony. That That's ultimately the, the quandary here is that he wants to give those guys a chance. But I think personally, for him, he'll not be too bothered if if they do end up finishing second and be, it's because they lose the game. Yeah. I found it interesting that he specifically, when asked about the whole momentum aspect of this, said it's not about momentum, it's about positivity. Yeah. And I think that's almost a good way to reframe the question. And and to me, it also feeds into a, a, a wider point that you know a lot of what Karen Southgate is saying I actually find is is really good. Like I know I know mm. we don't necessarily talk about media handling when it comes to an international manager, specifically with what he says in a tournament. But I just find the whole that that aspect of talking about positivity, talking mm. about this England squad as a you know perhaps a microcosm for society and how we can sort of be integrated. There's just a lot of things to like about him. I, I know he was seen as. Um, a jobs for the boys type appointment or, you know, keeping the, the status quo. But I actually think the more that we see him, the more he seems tailor-made for this position. No, I think you're right in that. I think it has been an incredibly effective PR campaign on on behalf of the FA, Southgate, the team as well. I mean, we saw before the World Cup the, the unprecedented idea of giving the press access to all these players I think it's worked in a way, and I think it's not just that on a media side. There is also that connection that, that the fans, the public have with these players. There is that optimism. I think it's interesting, the idea of positivity that Southgate talks about, because a defeat would 
stunt that, if not momentum, then positivity, as you say. I think it could also have the same effect for Belgium as well. You know, they've scored eight goals as well. They've got two wins. They're on they're on the crest of a wave, as Rory Jennings would say. Um, but you know, it, it feels like you've got to maintain that positivity, and that's why I think England, if they don't win this game, if they don't get a creditable result, I think that could have a more negative impact than finishing first, potentially facing tougher opposition, etc., etc. I think it is a difficult it's a difficult equation <laughs> that Scarface got a balance here, but. All the indications are, for example, Harry Kane's going to start. Um, you know that was kind of a decision that he had to make. There was the idea that you know he's pursuing the golden boot. It's an individual one. It's not necessarily for the good of the team. I think that's a balance that Southgate's going to have to strike here and manage Kane's minutes. But um, I think it is going to be a fascinating game. I think whoever we face in that next round, be it Colombia, be it Japan, be it even Senegal, who could go through, there's it's still going to be a tough challenge, no matter who we face. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's kind of it's delicately poised. I think it's fair to say. Um, we do have to talk about as well, as well as England, as well as football coming home, which we all know is a fact by now. Uh, group D. This was on Tuesday night. Croatia going through top of the group, maximum points um, after it's all said and done with their win over Iceland. Iceland two one in the end. Um, Argentina though. The big story, uh, not only because of a, a certain legend who was uh, was watching the game and grabbing the headlines. Uh, let's talk about on the pitch first. Um, 2-1, it finished in the end to Argentina. Uh, Lionel Messi with an incredible opening goal. A penalty conceded by Javier Mascherano in that second half, which Victor Moses converts. It feels like Argentina on the verge of going out. But much like Germany, where we saw Tony Cruz's heroics, Marcos Rojo, an unlikely hero, steps up. But I can't help but feel, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, this paper's over the cracks. They face France in the next round. Surely there's no way they're going through against against France. Um, this is the thing. France have been quite underwhelming as well. That's the other thing to, to sort of keep in mind. I think what struck me about the, the Argentina game was the influence of Benega. Um, in attack, I think he means that Messi doesn't have to drop as deep. He's willing to find him through the lines. I think Higuain's inclusion also gives Messi someone to bounce off better than uh, Aguero, because I don't think Aguero is the type of striker to play those little one-twos in sort of what you call zone 14 of the pitch, that that bit just above the the D of the penalty spot. Um, and yet, like I say, Fran, they've they've also been a, a total mess defensively. Mascherano should absolutely not play. He, bless him, a wonderful player on his day, but he looked like a boxer who'd taken one too many fights the other night. He was sweating, he was slow, he was, you know, picking up needless fouls. He was not the he was not the broom that he was before, who would just clean things up and, and sort things out. Um and I think they're gonna have to get rid of him because that that midfield of France is is, is one of its strengths, I would say. It's not only its technical ability. But you look at Kante's ability to cover the ground, you look at um, Pogba's ability to sort of string things together from deep. <clears throat> That's way too much for, for Mascherano to try and deal with himself if, if Benega's going to be allowed to to pull the strings or Lo Celso, whoever they decide to be that playmaker. Um, and, and I just think that they, they definitely need some kind of change, maybe a 3-5-2, maybe what have you. But at the same time, I think, look, if they make those changes... If, if they <clears throat> essentially pick a system that is befitting not just the players but actually the the opposition, 
then I think they could be a France side that have been really underwhelming from from pretty much start to finish. Mm, I do feel like Argentina on they're on the verge of implosion. There's so many stories, there's so many rumors doing the rounds, talks of a dust up with Mascherano and Sam players in the squad. Other stories suggesting it's Messi that's managing this team now. Jorge Sampaoli asking his permission to sub on Sergio Aguero, according to certain Spanish outlets, lip reading departments. I mean, it all feels ridiculous. Chris, the fact is they are through. Messi, you know, it's a huge relief for him, he says. It was a difficult situation. Um, he was quoted as saying after the match, you could see the relief when he scored that goal um, and what it meant to him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was something, you know, I, <laughs> says a lot about Messi. I don't think any other player has had their body language interpreted as um, vehemently and, and with much focus as he has. You know, he, he supposedly looked... Uh, timid and stressed or nervous before um, the Croatia game compared oh, that did. to oh, the Nigeria game where he looked ready for it he looked all these different things and to a certain degree I think you know the, the talk of Sampaoli maybe not being in charge that to me is, is indicative of a press that is very fervent and very um, attached to the team and sort of covers the, the minutiae of every single thing. Because it, it was interesting to me, it was two years ago today, the 27th, that Messi retired from national team duty after Copa America. Um, and I remember them kind of questioning where now, because Mascherano supposedly was about to retire as well. And you look at that situation and you think, well, those players have stayed, but the stability hasn't come at all. Um, in the wake of that and and I think if I would suggest you to read one thing there was a piece Ed Malian did in The Independent that sort of just covered the the absolute nut, sort of craziness of the whole affair and the lack of stability and the lack of cohesion in this Argentina team um, I think look Sam Pauli's kind of made a mess of it he's, he's almost forgot what he was good at doing um, and you look at a lot of his selections they just haven't made sense. They, they simply haven't. And going into the tournament, the debate was, would it be Banega or Celso in the middle pulling the strings? And then he starts with, I think it's Bigley or Mascherano. And so there's no string puller. And so at that point, Messi then has to come much deeper. And it's just it's just one, it's, it's lurching from one crisis to another with Argentina. Um, and I think that's what they've got to stop. It does feel like France-Argentina could be the pick of the fixtures in the round of 16 um, this Saturday. That kicks off. Uh, are there any other matchups that you're particularly looking forward to out of those round of 16 fixtures? We've also got Uruguay, Portugal, Spain, Russia, Croatia, Denmark, Brazil, Mexico, Sweden, Switzerland. So far, Brazil, Mexico. As we sort of alluded to earlier, that could be a that could be a fiery one, Chris. It could because I think if if Mexico were to attempt a similar game plan to the one that they exacted on Germany, they could find some success. Um, if they can essentially catch Brazil on the hop, I think it's a little bit more difficult because they have Casemiro, who is is much more defensively minded than I think any of the German midfielders were on that night. Um, but at the same time, Germany have, uh, excuse me, Brazil have shown some frailties in defence, I would argue. Mm. Um, as good as their goalkeeper has been, they've definitely shown that you can cause them problems. Costa Rica had a fantastic chance against them in the first half to to score that Giancarlo Gonzalez really should have put away. Um, the other one to me is, is Portugal-Uruguay. Um, Portugal were obviously fuming at the fact that they missed out on Spain 
getting Russia because uh, uh, Spain getting Uruguay, excuse me, because of a VAR decision. And I can completely see why, because I think as we saw with Russia's last game, they did well to win the opening two games, but it was two bold men fighting over a comb, those games. They were not an accurate representation of the quality of this tournament. Um, and I think the third game for Russia showed that. Whereas Uruguay, they haven't been startling Uruguay. Absolutely, they haven't. But I think in the final game, Tavares managed to put together a formation that sort of 3-5-2 made the most of their their strengths, which is Cavani and Suarez and then some very good central midfielders. And then also managed to remove the fact that they don't have any top-class traditional wingers who can play in the final third. Um, and so you look at the way they counted on Russia and the way able, they were able to transition quickly, which is a theme of this tournament, I think, is the the lesser sides, if you will, are getting so much better at knowing their limitations and working to them hmm. and not trying to go and outplay them. I think if I'm Portugal, I really don't want that because Portugal are the favourites in that one, definitely. And they'll be expected to go out and play. And I don't think they're comfortable with that. And and as we saw with Iran, if Santos goes with the sort of four four two or that sort of hybrid, if you sit on Carvalho like Iran did after 12 minutes, mm. it absolutely kills Portugal because he, he's the man that makes them tick. He's the man that sends it long, plays it short. And they just plopped a man, Carlos Kieros plopped a man on Carvalho and it massively impacted the way Portugal played because Alain Silva is not the same kind of ball player that, that Carvalho is. So much good football to look forward to, guys. We're going to be back tomorrow night after England-Belgium when England have confirmed whether they're finished in first, whether they're finished in second and whether indeed football is coming home. Until then, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. Thank you so much to Elliot Hackney as well, our man on the ground. Until tomorrow, Chris, where can the listeners find you? At K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Lovely stuff, guys. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. Until tomorrow night, enjoy the football. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.